So uh, I would like to pre-warn everybody at the start of this episode that I am not with COVID, but I am with some form of cold or bug. So uh, my voice is going to be a little bit deeper and I might sound a bit bunged up. So I apologize in advance, but no one cares about me. So let's talk about you. Let's start off with, as we always do, how it is that you found photography? What made you want to pick up a camera in the first place? That question comes up a lot. Um, it, it's I feel like it just, I just kind of, it, it, it started when I was around like seven when I first got my camera and that was from my mom. Um, and it was a little point and shoot 35 millimeter camera. Um, and I mean, it was, and it was a cheap one too. It was one that you just get like a, you know, like a target or something. Um, and I never really put it down and it, I took it with me on uh, family trips that we had. And along with that, we, I also had like, we had like the family VHS camcorder. And so those two things were the, like the two things that I never let go. So I had my point and shoot and then I had the VHS camera and I would do it at family, par- like shoot at family parties and like our family trips. And I don't know, something about it, like just capturing moments always has always been important to me. Something about having that memory always and capturing something, uh, an intimate moment, whether it be an intimate moment or just like a fun moment and just having that moment forever. Um, and I, I, as I got older and I went into high school, it's when I really started considering photography and um and and they started shooting a lot of my friends after school during summer breaks um and i started getting really passionate about it and going to the hardware store and buying supplies for these little shoots that we would be doing in the backyard and um and figuring ways of how to make it look all professional and high fashion (laughs) well was there a point you know, obviously like now you're an incredibly established photographer whose work I'm insanely jealous of, but from starting at such, such a young age, was there, was there like a moment where you felt like you'd become a photographer? Um, I, 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 you know, I still, I still have trouble even saying to people that I'm a photographer because I feel like there's always I'm always, I feel like I'm always learning and always growing. And, um, and I would say, I guess after high school is when I started saying, yes, I am a photographer and yes, I can, I can do this. Cause you know, I, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's hard to say. Um, I, 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 I don't think you need to have, a whole like I don't think you need to be considered established to be a photographer. You know, I think what makes it like a photographer, someone who you know does have an eye for composition and has an artistic view and sees visually and is able to tell um, stories visually. Uh, I think that's what makes you a photographer, and um, and I feel like. After high school is when I started kind of gearing towards that. And that's what I, when I started feeling like, yes, I am a photographer, but I, I don't know. I, I think, I, I don't think, I don't think you should, you should not say you're not a photographer if you're not established. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I think as well, one thing I've noticed from doing the podcast and especially sort of in a weird way, from the rejections that I get from approaching people about the podcast is that there's a weird middle ground. There's people that have, you know, produced amazing work and uh, work within the industry, whatever genre that may be, that are incredibly generous with their time. And there's people at the beginning of their journey that are very enthusiastic and generous with their time. And there's a very strange little middle subset of people who have had a little taste of notoriety from social media or they've had one job sort of bring them attention and they take on that full diva uh overconfidence i guess is probably the the kindest way i can put it and it's it's very strange to me i would have thought 
And I think that maybe a lot of people on the outside would think that anyone that's kind of climbing further and further up the ladder would become less and less generous with their time and become a little bit more self-assured. And it actually seems to be like, it's kind of a fluctuating degree that that kind of works out. Some people get to, uh, to get a little bit of social media notoriety and that's it. They, they've, they've made it. And I think then they get humbled and then maybe they come back. I don't know. It's strange. I think social media does weird things to people. And I talk about social media way too much. So I'm going to move away from that super quickly. I mean, that's our day. That's our, that's, that's today. And, and, um, and I do see that sometimes with, um, other creatives I've met and, and where the ego can take them. But I think, you know, you know, I, I think it's also the pressure too on social media. It's like, okay, you have like one thing that happens that's, that was pretty big and got you some, and, and, and it got you noticed. But then you know, there's always the pressure of what you know, what's next. Um, and I think also sometimes egos can get the best of us. And I think um, I think it's important to stay humble, stay humble, and continue staying passionate about your craft and and seeing how you, you can be better. There's always room to grow. There's always room to experiment. And, and try new things, you know? Um, mm. and, and there's always room to create even more, more, more work. Um, so, um, yeah. I think whether we hate each other or uh, whether we hate ourselves or, uh, how do I want to put this? I think w- whether we hate ourselves or love ourselves, we're always our own worst enemy in that sense, because we either are lying to ourselves about being much worse than we actually are, or we're lying to ourselves and think that we're much better than we actually are. And like you said, there should always be that uh, emphasis on growth and, and the, the more you can learn and the more you can do. You said you started off photographing like family and friends. Mm. And, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast that a lot of photographers seem to get to a bit of a fork in the road and they either absolutely detest the idea of photographing people because they didn't have to interact with those people or they really like photographing people and they kind of, that seems to be their main focus. So what is it that you most enjoy now about photographing people? Um, well, I, I, so, I mean, when I was younger, I used to be, I was, I was a very shy person. Um, and I, I had not the best social skills. Um, and you know, so shooting family was always easy. Um, but I, I did know that I, 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 I did want to shoot people and I, and I knew uh, it with myself that I had to like, grow within myself and the way that I interact with people. And, and it's something that I really worked hard to overcome. And, um, and so when I started shooting people that are not related to me or not my friends, um, that's when I, I started pushing myself a lot harder. And, and now, I mean, what I love about meeting people and, and shooting people is just like getting their energy, meeting new people that like, that this job is allowing me to do, to meet people from different, especially, I mean, I'm in New York and I, you know, people come from all over the world. And so I get to meet all these different people from different countries, different States, differently. I mean, and, and you get to learn about them while shooting them and, and, and learn different personalities and the way, and, and the way they do things or culture. Um, I think it's special. I think it's, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm lucky because if I, if I wasn't doing what I do, I would have never met these people. I would have probably stayed in, in, a, in a bubble. And so when I'm shooting subjects, I'm the whole time I'm interacting with them, you know, I'm, I'm giving them, a space to first feel safe and, and, and relax and just take cool pictures. And then at the same time, I'm learning stuff. Um, it's, I don't know, there's something special about that. Well, I've been aware of your work for quite a while. And, um, I think when I see people that photograph big personalities or big names, I tend to I tend to shy away from approaching them about the podcast because, you know, I'm a nobody. And I, I, you get that kind of imposter syndrome when it comes to approaching people. And then uh, my wife, who tends to dictate everything that I do, uh, she saw your images of Ricky Martin 
And mm-hmm. uh, as he gets older, and I, de- I definitely think there's a thing here with good looking guys, as they get older, they get more good looking, which is a very strange concept in a world that's <laughs> constantly trying to be younger. Um, my wife was literally like, you need to, you need to get this guy on the podcast. You need to get him on. The-. Like she just ha- harassed me essentially. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to do it. That If that gets her off my back, I'll, I'll put up with the rejection that I'm inevitably going to get. And you were kind enough to actually come on. So um, she pushed me in the right direction. Um, when it comes to photographing big personalities, how, you know, how is that? Is that, is that more challenging when there's someone that's uh, got a little bit more celebrity or a little bit more fame to them? Or is it, are they more used to it and they're more comfortable? What's the challenges of photographing big personalities? Um, you know, I, it's, um, it is a little nerve wracking at the beginning. Um, because, and it, and it's a little bit nerve wracking because I mean, there's, there's a lot of things to consider. First, you want to get like really good images of this person. Um, shooting Ricky. I mean, this guy has been around forever. He has, he's had, he has a career that spans 30 years. Um, so he's seen it all, done it all. Um, and I think it, it, there's, there's a lot of little things. And for me, I think, um, I mean, it's more, I, for me, I get more pressured from like the technical side of things, um, in the sense of like, I want to make sure my light is at its absolute best. Um, and I, want to make sure that like what I have in my mind is what I'm going to be able to capture. But then there's also the thought of about, okay, this person's a celebrity. They have a PR person. There's always like a really tight schedule like a tight limit. Like you only have like an hour or two hours with them and multiple outfits. And you want to make sure you get options. I love options. So I will overshoot because I want to make sure that I get every little thing possible. Um, and, um, and then then there's the pressure of just being in the same room with that person. Um, and I think it's like, you know, you kind of have to just remind yourself that this person is just a person and, and, they're just like you and I, and they just have a very successful career <laughs> and they're famous. But, but you know, what I, what I, what I, you know, I think it's important to do your research on whoever you're shooting prior, you know, research. And, and cause there will be times you get a job where, you know, the celebrity, but you don't know much about them. And so it's important to research, you know, their work, what they've done recently, things that you can, make a conversation about when they're on set, you know? And, um, and so there's, there's that to think about. And then there's also like, okay, how are we going to make this person feel comfortable too? And, and, and how are you going to show this person that you are able to lead the shoot, you know, because they are, they are going to rely on you on directing them, um, of what you want for each image and, and, and how you want to pose them and stuff like that. So you know, I, to me, it's an approach about making them feel comfortable, you know, and I, I show them references and I chit chat with them. And my approach is always kind of like if I've known them before, um, and, 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 you know, when I first see them, it's like, Hey, how you been? What's going on? Um, and then I start getting excited about what we're going to do. And it's about setting that comfort level. Um, with on, on set where they just feel comfortable with you. And so, you know, but then you're going to have hard times too with other uh, big personalities that don't really have much to say, don't react much. And that's where it gets tricky. And that's where um, figuring it out, figuring it out how to, I think at that point, if you have a tricky personality, it's about if, if you, if you've tried your absolute best that, leading the shoot in the way that you want and they're not really um coming back to you with it then it's kind of letting them lead the shoot and see how they're feeling yeah i mean it's interesting you bring that up actually because this is like a recurring theme um and it spans lots of different genres and people that have photographed i've you know i've i've interviewed people that have photographed uh, the british royal family i've interviewed people that have photographed big actors uh, people like yourself with uh, the likes of ricky martin and, and so on and all the way down to people that just photograph 
everyday, you know, people about town, people doing their jobs, people in Indonesia that are, that are plastic collectors from the ocean, you know, all walks of life. And it's, a, it's an interesting thing. And there seems to be different interpretations on this about matching energy. Now, I personally, when I photograph weddings, at least, I definitely try and match the energy of the people that are important. So if they are quiet and they are unassuming and they are very reserved, I'm not going to go in and have like a huge flamboyant personality and then, you know, alienate myself from that person. At the same time, if they're very loud and 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 very sort of raucous with the way that they're enjoying the day, I'll I'll kind of chip in and I'll have a bit of a laugh with them and I'll be much more vocal to kind of put myself on the same level as them in the energy sense. And I've had other people say to me that's the complete wrong thing to do for them and that they much prefer, they have a, a tone that they set and they want to bring everyone to their level with regards to like their energy and their mood and so on. So I'm curious to know mm-hmm. for yourself, are you someone that likes to kind of lead the mood or do you try and match the energy of the people that you're photographing? I definitely like to lead it a little bit. Um, but I also, when, when I first get to set, I always try to, I always try to um, uh, feel it out a little bit because there are some people that won't, will not vibe with you. Um, if you're trying, when you're trying to lead and, and you'll get that feeling a little bit, like you'll, they, they, they and, it, and that might not be them trying to be a little harsh or anything. They're just like, that's just them. And they might be just a little bit more reserved. Um, and, and so and you have to respect that, um, obviously. And, but for the most part, I do try to lead it. And then, and, and by lead, I mean, I want to make, a safe space on set, you know, like I do sometimes shoot young people that are like just first getting into the industry and they're like shy in front of the camera a little bit. And so I take the lead by trying to make them as comfortable as possible. And and I'll joke with them and I'll start to find out about their life, where they're from and, and I'll have music going and I'll dance a bit and like, I'll be, you know, I just, really set a vibe where it makes them be like, okay, this guy is cool. This guy is chill. Um, and, and that's how they kind of start opening up, you know? So it, I think it's important to feel it out, you know, cause I don't, I don't think necessarily it's a bad thing for to vibe off of, off of their energy, but you know, if you're on a set and you're trying to amp things up and they're not that amped up, I think you have to start taking a lead because if not, you're not going to get the best photos. <laughs> So something that's completely alien to me and I think to uh, most people that want to be doing the job that you're doing and maybe the thing that's going to surprise them the most um, is we think, I mean, I don't want to put words in other people's mouths here, but I think a lot of people think when you become a photographer of fashion, a photographer of celebrities, a photographer of models that um, you, it's you, the person, and you have this creative direction and they perform for you essentially and you're a genius and at the end of it you you will just go and do cocaine and have fun down a, a bar in in downtown Manhattan or something and I, I think from the outside it seems like it's a very uh you very much you are the leader of your own work whereas the truth mm-hmm. I believe and from what I've spoken to other people about is that there's usually creative direction involved from a third party, either the, the publication that's, that's hired you, the manager of the person that's hired you, whatever. There's going to be some form of creative director involved. And I'm just curious to know what that relationship is like and, and how difficult is it to kind of surrender creative control to someone who's not the photographer? Um, I, yeah, there's always, <laughs> for the most part, there is always third person um, creative direction. And and I, till now, I have not have had much, much trouble with creative directors or art directors. I think something to keep in mind is that, you know, these creative directors and art directors, they, they're the ones that, um, they're the ones that get you on this project because they believe in your work and, and, and they see something special and they know that you can bring it to what they have in mind. And so they, for the, for the creative directors and art directors that I've worked with, 
they've always kept like an open an open space for me to chat out what I think versus what they think. And um and and there'll be times where yes, you bump heads, but I think it that's a, it's where you show that's where you have to show a, a sense of confidence within yourself and your in your work and your vision that you can make this happen a certain way where you both where you can find an in-between and 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 let them trust you. Um I, it, but you are going to, you will have some bumps, but I think it's just, I think it's important to show the confidence with your own vision and explaining that to them and, and how you can make it even better. Well, I think it's something that would, would jar a lot of people. And I'm assuming this is the case in some sense when you're working, that if you're tethering, if that person's in the room with you as you're shooting, they're giving you feedback on what is and isn't working as you're going through the process in some cases. And I think like a lot of photographers know you, you, like I do, I take a lot of bad photos to get to the good ones. Sometimes I take photos to get to the good photos. So I know when I'm taking them, in some cases I'm pushing through maybe a mood or, you know, I've, I've always said to people that are new to photographing people, don't destroy the confidence of the person that you're photographing, ease them away from the thing that they're doing that you don't like. So especially Mm -hmm. with digital, you can shoot through stuff that isn't working and coerce them towards something that you know will work. It's a lot better that way than, than to kind of just say, no, that's crap. That's not working and destroy their confidence. So when you're actually in the process of shooting, how much of a, of a challenge is it when you've got someone giving you sort of live feed feedback on what is and isn't working? Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, I definitely have them by the computer. Um, and I think, I mean, sometimes I, I, there have been times where I've asked them to kind of step away, um, and to give me just a few minutes with just me and, you know, the subject, let me try a few di- different things. Let me try a different, a few different light setups and, and let me just give me a few minutes and then I will call you back and then we can review. And that's like, that's like the last thing. If, if, if that's the last option that I do, if the creative director is not feeling so far what's happening, even after multiple shots you know i regroup with them i talk it out tell them give me a few minutes let me change some things around let me give you some options and then i'll call you back and then we can go from there uh you mentioned at the beginning there about uh working with uh i think you said vhs as well as photographs um Mm -hmm. now you're one of these incredibly talented people that i can't quite get my head around how you managed to do this that you combine motion and stills, especially on your website. I love the layout of your website because it's, it's very engaging. In terms of your directorial style uh, with, with your subjects, how does that differ when you're photographing compared to doing motion? Um, well, I'm still just getting into motion and, and practicing on that side. Um, it is a little bit different in the sense of like, you know, like who you're mentioning earlier about tethering to a computer and and you're shooting away and you're getting all these different images and angles and stuff like that. With motion, it's a little bit more technical and it's a little bit more, it's more, um, there's a little bit more thought into it. You know, you got to get the camera set up and you got to get like your composition correct. And then you got to do multiple takes with your subject and make sure that the subject is getting the right movement that you're looking to do or whatever it is that you're looking to to shoot. So um, it's a little bit more toned down, I think, for me when it comes to motion. When I'm shooting stills, it's like, put the music up. Let's get, let's just, let's get wild. Give me this, give me that. It's easy to get options. With motion, it's more like, okay, music off, everybody, like, everything just gets a little bit more calm and a little bit more slow paced, which can get a little tedious sometimes. <laughs> um, it really, it, it really can. And then, it, and you know, and it, it really, 
And it does take a little bit more direction for the, for your subject. Because it's because at this point, it's not like, just give me a little bit of everything. Now it's more of like, okay, give me this. And like, so I'm behind the camera, like trying to do the same thing I'm like they're doing and, and now this and that. Um, it's challenging. I, you know, I recently shot um, this project over three days um, with like about 37 different subjects. And um, we did a lot of stills and then we did, uh, we did a little small motion pieces like motion uh, portraits. And, um, and it was a little bit challenging because I was there behind the camera and I was doing all these little poses and I'm like, okay, but gracefully. And then like, you know, it's like, look to camera, but like, you can't look, don't look quick, like softly look to camera. So it doesn't look like, you know, you're told to look at camera. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit more detailed, a little bit more technical. Um, and so you have to definitely slow the pace down a bit so that it can be a little challenging, especially when you're on time restraints. Well, let's talk about that because you brought that up earlier and, and, and again, now this, uh, you, you mentioned earlier about only getting like an hour or two with a subject. Um, in this case, having the, the time show, especially like 37, I can't even imagine being around 37 people at one time where I have to really engage with them. That's like from what I've become as like this antisocial hermit through the lockdowns. It's like, mm-hmm. that's a mind blowing experience. But, um, that, that, constraint those those restrictions that are put in does that actually i mean obviously you'd prefer more time like you said you'd like to overshoot you'd like to get more coverage and so on but does having those restrictions actually make you more creative or is it something that just irritates you Mm. um i it definitely you know it definitely puts the pressure on you of like you got to make a decision right there and then, and you got to go through with it and trust it. I think, you know, it's kind of like, um, like, I don't, I don't think it messes up anything creatively. I think it's just more, and, and I'm sure you get this too when you're shooting yourself, but like you kind of, you're indecisive about certain things that you want to shoot or certain angles or certain right a certain way a certain setup that you're not you're not sure about and so you're like well maybe like this or maybe like that well when you're in a time constraint you got to just go with it you got to say okay we're going to do this and we're going to make sure it's great um i think that's what the most that's like the pressure that happens when you are in a time constraint with things but does that make you play it more safe does that mean that you have like go to lighting setups go to angles like you mentioned that although they work and you know, they, you know, you're going to get that result because you're under that pressure. Mm-hmm. Does that not make you play it more safe? And, and as a creative that frustrates you more. Yeah, a little bit. It does. It does make you play it safe. Um, it limits you on options. And um, I think that's why it's also important to do like have your references too of, 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 of things that you wanted to do before kind of have in mind already. It's like thinking ahead of time, you know, there's moments that like, if I'm doing like motion stuff or I'm doing like still stuff and I'm like shooting one subject and I know that I have somebody else about to get in front of my camera. Sometimes I'm already thinking about that other person while I'm still shooting the person before. Um, to kind of get ahead of the of the game of what I want to do with them. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, th- I think one thing that you're not mentioning, and it's a really underrated skill, and for you to work the way that you do, you have to have it. And I think it's maybe the missing link for a lot of photographers in all genres, is that ability to interpret images, to be able to kind of reverse engineer a reference image and say, okay, well, I can judge the lighting and how that was done, even though I don't have like, uh, like a, a BTS mm-hmm. shot or I don't have a guide from the person who took the photos, I can actually assess the lighting of this image, make a decision on that. I can assess the angle of shooting, the length of lens, you know, you can really reverse engineer the photo back to its core components. That's something that's a really underrated skill. And I think with a lot of photographers getting involved, mostly due to the gear, I think like a, for a lot of I don't want to be mean. I've got to really try to stop being mean, but I feel like for a lot of men, it's like 
it's about stuff. It's about having Ugh. like an expensive camera or or whatever. And they focus Ugh. so much. And yeah, I'm no, I'm mean. I'm sorry. Um, but it's about it's Mm-mm. about being so focused on the gear that they don't really learn what their taste is. They don't really learn why they like stuff, why they don't like stuff. They just know that if they buy another thing, they'll get better. And that ability to reverse engineer and analyze an image, a reference image especially, is like such an underrated skill that I I, I almost want to say that you're downplaying slightly. <laughs> um, I. I mean, well, towards towards the gear thing, I I get that. I you know, anytime I have to go into a camera shop and buy something, I always feel a little intimidated, right? Um, because you know, t- technically, like like is gear wise and stuff, I always need to reach out to other people to give me a little bit of a consultation on what is better or what's or what's good. Um, because I'm not the very best at it. Um, and when I walk into a camera store and, you know, you see all these guys that are, you know, they know their stuff. They're, they're like to the core on all this. That makes me feel a little intimidated, but um, there is a whole other part to photography and it's understanding, it's under, understanding light and it's understanding visuals and it's understanding composition. And, um, and I feel like I, I'm more on that side of things right. when it comes to, to to shooting, and and there are times that I know exactly the type of light that I want, and there are things and there are things that I references and old work that I I think back to off the top of my head. I'm like, actually, I want that, and and I'll make it happen somehow. Um, yeah, I think it's it's also important to know too about your like your work and where you want to take it towards and what's your um like what's your special little niche within your work that makes it your work right you know and that's another important thing too well i'm gonna deviate quite quickly away because i will go just down the rabbit hole of of hating on a lot of other photographers so i don't i don't want to come across too negative um i am i'm a negative person by nature so i have to almost uh, muzzle myself in that sense. Let's let's talk about models and and subjects. Let's let's talk about people in front of the camera. What are the the what are the qualities that make an ideal model for you in terms of like personality, raw materials? What what is what is a what does a model have to have to be ideal for you? Um, not look like a model, <laughs> right? Um, I. I don't know. I really, I, I do enjoy photographing people that do have unique features to them that are not really considered to like the model standards or your classic model standards. Right. You know, like I don't, you know, I don't, I wouldn't shoot someone who's all like chiseled up and beefy. Like that's not my style um but i definitely you know i definitely just do look for unique faces that stand out to me and um and and, and whether it be someone tall or someone short or um would be plus size or not plus size i mean i I just want some i just like to photograph people that there's just something special to them um they just kind of like stands out and, and there are times too where I have like street casted people that I met at like bars or outside of bars and they just carry they, they carried like a certain energy that just like kind of like gravitated towards them. Um but you know, I, yeah I think it's a little bit more they just have to have something unique to them and not your just like your classic model. <laughs> Would you feel like that's a that's a symptom of social media? And I, again, I, I I can't help myself but shit on this stuff. But do you feel like that's a, a symptom that like I, I have certainly noticed in the last couple of years for sure that this like influencer Instagram model. I don't know what the New Yorkism for is. But I mean, I just I'd personally just call them dickheads. But <laughs> this like self appointed 
self-photo taking. They have an exact idea of the way they want to pose, the way they want to look. They think that they Mm. are their own brand, even though, you know, 40% of their followers are people trying to get them to send feet pictures and another 40% are bots that they bought through an app store, get followers now type thing. Do you think that there's there's a, a hangover from people who have appointed themselves kind of models like you keep saying there's a model look do you think that's that's a hangover of social media i think so yeah i mean oh ain't nobody got time for those influencers i can't but come on let's talk about egos and up their asses um yeah i mean that is what social media is like it's kind of like oh um, it really, yeah. I mean, but there, you know, there is still there. You know, I think if you if you see if you follow the right accounts, you'll come across people that are not those influencers, but they are very cool people. Um, and you can find special groups on Instagram too. Like you can find really special, unique people on Instagram that are other artists that they have different mediums, and they just happen to have like a really cool look to them and you're like okay let's, let's set up a shoot um especially here in new york you know once you you find one cool group and you can start you kind of stalk their instagram a little bit go in their tagged photos see who their friends are yeah and it just keeps going <laughs> it just keeps going and you know and the project that i mentioned earlier that i photographed not too long ago i shot all these different faces um that are in New York and some of them have um, influence on Instagram and they have a large following, but when you go to their Instagram, they're not doing that like model or selfie or hiring someone to take their photo on the street. You know, these people are being followed because they do something unique they do something they they're, they either do something with the music or they do something with the painting or they create something yeah um and i think those are the special ones and those are the people that you know are are worth going after if you want to take a photo you know well you can have people that are extremely good looking but have literally no charisma or no character and it's That's it's it. really hard to <laughs> photograph someone like that <laughs> You can take something that's kind of like base level pretty, but it's not, it's not anything else. And when you get someone that has like a bit more of a, a, a character, a, a, you know, they, they, they carry so much charisma with them that they grab so much attention. It's something that's completely intangible. You can't, you can't point to them and say, oh, look, there's the charisma. But as a human being, and I think it goes back to like base instinct of just understanding like threat and, and whatever we can tell someone that's further up the food chain in terms of like personality and charisma. It's a very bizarre thing. I think that like America, especially New York and, and LA have just made an absolute market out of, of, out of finding these intangibles in people in a way that if you're from like the middle of nowhere, like, I mean, I'm stuck in, not in London and I'm in England, which, you know, that means I'm not anywhere because in England we only have one real city and, in America, you really only have like three. The rest of them, I, I think you guys <laughs> refer to them as like flyover states um, in terms of like the fashion world. It's kind of strange. You go to a, a little town anywhere and the only people you're left with are the, the influencers. The, the, the charismatic people seem to have just got on a plane and gone to New York or gone to, to LA or, or whatever. It's, very, it's a very strange thing. I don't know how you define that, that charisma that is so engaging mm-hmm. i mean it's a hard thing to find um and yeah i mean i, I, I don't know how to follow up with that <laughs> no no you're all good i think i just kind of blindsided and went off on one like i do um in that respect and this isn't a question i think i've ever asked on the podcast before and i feel like you might be the perfect person to ask this to the 90s and previous to the 90s but the 90s really was the heyday of, of supermodels mm-hmm. and i think now more than ever 2021 middle of 2021 we are now looking at the 90s with a lot more reverence and a lot more nostalgia 
for some of the great stuff that was going on. Whereas previously, I think the nineties has been a bit of a mean decade. It's been a bit crap. Um, we're now starting to appreciate some of the fashion and some of the, the icons of that decade. Are we now that we're in this age of celebrities are now the supermodels. So you've got the likes of, I, you know, I'm really going to show my lack of knowledge here, but the likes of the Kardashians and the infinite clones that they seem to push out. Mm-hmm. When you've got them being the the icons of fashion, are we not are we not missing supermodels at this point? People that had that charisma and had individual looks, are we not missing them? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think today we're still capturing individual looks um, and new people, and um, I and man, the nine. 90- these were the fucking best, let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I was born in 92, but like I constantly look back to the 90s for references and inspiration. I mean, I spent, you know, Vogue Italia, they opened up their archives during Corona um, for like three, three months. And I and like within, during quarantine, I spent almost every day like screenshotting editor like all the editorials from like 90s to like 2005 um because those editorials were so fucking wild and they pushed creativity to a whole other level that i like i think has been forgotten a little bit compared now to what's being shot i feel like a lot of things look the same um the models back then, I mean, they were, I mean, they're absolutely stunning. And, and I even have like a book I mean, that talks about all of these models and, and as much as, as amazing as they are and all that, I think where we are today with like inclusivity, you know, and I think it's important. I think it's important to be where we're at today. I mean, we're now shooting, you know, like we had Paloma that was on the cover of Vogue. She's like, a plus size black woman and she's on the cover of Vogue. That was not happening back then. You know, like there's all these underrepresented people that are now being on covers of all like major magazines. And there, there are trans men and trans women being on covers and on editorial spreads and, and, and they're, and they're being celebrated and, None of that was being shown back then. It was all like the, the super, the super glam and the super, the super hot guy that you know be on Calvin. But like even Calvin Klein now, they're they're celebrating everybody, all shapes and sizes, all races, everything, and it's it's quite amazing. And I think and I th- and I think it's great where we're at right now with that. And I think it needs to keep, continue being pushed because I mean, back then you think about it like. How many people would look up to these models and then look at themselves and not be so happy? And it, like now I think you, you open a magazine and you're be like, wow, look at this person. They're just like me. I can do that. They, they, you know, it's a little bit more inspiring, I think. So that's that's my answer. To that. <laughs> But don't get me wrong. I love the '90s supermodels. I mean, they are fucking fabulous, and and they, they cannot be forgotten. You know. Well, one thing I've, I'm fascinated by, generally speaking, with uh, I I really don't want to keep going on angry tangents. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try my best to be a positive human <laughs> being. I'm not. I'm not the most California human being. So I'm going to try my best to be a more California human being here. Th- there are very few people that are very very good at photographing people and a very very small percentage of those are good at photographing men and i think that that might come down to the photographer's sexuality or their sexual preferences i think that it might come down to the stereotype of a model being a woman it might come i i the, the availability of men that want to be photographed because i don't know about new york but in england men are for the most part, very, very reserved about being documented in any way, shape or form. And you're someone that's phenomenal at photographing men. So I just, I'm curious to know, is there, is there something different that you do between photographing, you know, different demographics 
or are you just the same photographer and that's just your voice coming out that you just happen to be very, 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 very good at photographing men? Um, you know, it's a question that I ask myself a lot um, and others have asked. And, and, and there are people that want to see me photographing more women. Um, and I've also thought about it too. I'm like, is it because of my sexuality that I do photograph men? I don't know. Um, I've always felt like I've always had a stronger eye when I photograph men. Um, and maybe it's because I understand a man's like physique more than I do a woman's, or I can see what's more comfortable within a man than a woman. Um, it's, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. It's something that just always, it just kind of happened that way where I just started shooting men and, and I, I, and I was good at it. And, and so I continued it. And, um, now I'm trying to dive in more into women and, and trying to see how I can get the same results that I do when I'm shooting men. Um, but it's, I think it's, it's figuring out comfort levels. Right. Well, I certainly don't, I'm not in the camp of someone that would want you to photograph less men. I think that like when you're, when you're good at something and especially if it's something that not enough people focus on, I think it's, it's definitely something to be proud of. And it's something that definitely drew me to your work. Um, especially the fact that you do motion work with, with guys, because it's just not something that's done particularly often. It's kind of a percent within a percent within a percent to find someone that's, that's good at it that also photographs men that also does motion. It's like, it's such a finite amount of people that do it. Mm. And, and speaking of that being, um, being able to stand out, I guess, in somewhere, I mean, you're in New York. I mean, that's gotta be insane. The amount of people that want to do what you're doing and the amount of people that are trying to be photographers or are trying to be involved in, in art in some way, shape or form. It's one of the capitals of the world for art, maybe the capital of the world for art. How do you stand out? How do you get people to to pay attention to what you're doing in such a saturated market? I don't, to be honest, I don't know. I think it's a little bit about, I mean, it, I think it's about continue. Like, yes, in New York, there's so many people here that want to be or are photographers. Um, there are people that are trying to do the same thing and, and everybody's, Everybody's like hustling and doing their thing. Um, I think it's I think it's just about staying true to 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 your work and your vision. Um, and I don't know if that sounds like cliche or not, but it's kind of true. Um, I think really it's about photographing the things that you are inspired by, and 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 I think it's important not to also not to copy either. You know, I think I feel like I see that a lot with people. They're a trend happens and everybody starts doing the same thing. And so you're not standing out. You're just doing what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's important to like, yes, it's, it's, it's important to see what's happening in the world of fashion. It's important to see what's happening in photography. Um, but you have to remember to stay true to your work and, and, and the things that you actually want to photograph and, and shoot it the way that you want to shoot it not the way that everybody else is shooting it or, or doing the same technique or the same thing because it does happen. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, there's countless photographers that do a lot of um, street stuff and, 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 and photographing skaters and people on the street and stuff and they all like shoot film and they all do this. But then it becomes a point where it all looks sort of the same. Yep. You know, and, and I think what's important and, and it's, and it's something that it's not always the easiest for a photographer to do. It is to kind of leave some, a bit of a print on your own work that kind of shows a little bit about like, it shows who you are, like where, you know, there are, there is one photographer that I admire very much. Um, and he's one of the greats and, and, I'm able to tell um, whenever there's a new project of his out, I'm able to tell that that's his work without even having to look who shot it. Right. And I think, and I think that's a special thing to have as a photographer. 
you know, having a, a specific style that you're able to incorporate into almost every project that you do that's, that yells out, this is that person. Um, and I think that's an important, that's a good way and, and a way of standing out from the rest. Well, it's funny, right? You mentioned about people following trends and it's, it's interesting mm-hmm. that people that want to stand out don't see the opportunity when everyone's going towards a certain direction because it's popular and it's getting, it's getting any kind of attention. Like mm. you would think the smart thing to do would to be like, okay, that's what everyone's doing. So to stand out, I'm not going to do that. That would, that seems to be like such a, such a straightforward thing for someone to work out. But like you said, I mean, maybe it's just more visible now, but you just see just everyone go in one direction with something. And then it's, it's, it's a clusterfuck to try and even figure out who's good at it because you've got to get through so much of, of the other people doing it to find the ones that are doing it even remotely well. And by that point, you're exhausted with it. I think the public gets it. It's a very strange... Human beings are bizarre. They're very, they're very tiring to pay too much attention to, I think. You mentioned earlier on, and it's something that I, I, I'm kind of a little bit fascinated by at the moment. Uh, about confidence and with what you do, and this might sound like a bit of a loaded question, so I apologize in advance, but is it important to be confident or is it important to appear confident? Um, I think a little bit of both. I think, um, I think it's important to appear confident um, in order to make the person that you're shooting or the the person that you're working for um trust you you know trust you and trust your vision even if in the back of your head you're still a little worried or a little like on the fence about what you're going to shoot or if like creatively you're just not there yet but you know i think it's it's important to keep that confidence up um because you you wouldn't want like a client or a subject or anybody that you're shooting to, um, to doubt you because then it brings, it brings the energy down and it definitely changes the vibe of everything that's happening, you know? Um, and then I think it's also important to have, um, your own confidence in, the, in, in your work, you know, cause if you, if you don't have that confidence, then, um, you're not going to shoot the work that you want to be shooting or you, or, um, you know, maybe you might even be showing, you may be even shooting like a shit ton of great work and you're hiding it. You know, you're not putting it out there because you don't feel like it's good enough. Um, you know, and I catch myself sometimes cause I, I do that sometimes. It's, um, I hide things that I think that are, that are not so great, but I look at it at other times. I'm like, wait, this is actually pretty great. Um, so I think, I think it's important to have a little bit of both. Um, and I know a lot of us photographers struggle with that. Um, and we doubt ourselves, you know, like you said, we're the worst enemies, right? Like our own worst critique. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think you've got to hope. I, I always make the joke that self-hatred is a really great motivator. I'm someone that's very down on myself personally. As, as a creative, I'm not one of the people that's like, Hey, look at me, look how great my stuff is because it just, it it even feels weird making that joke. It's just not my personality. And I think that there doesn't seem to be a lot of people in the middle. Everyone tends to either be at that end of things or they seem to be at the other end of things where they think that their shit smells like cinnamon rolls and they're producing maybe not the best work that they could be because they don't think that they're capable of improving. So it's, it's a human beings are a really bizarre thing. I mean, we're, I really appreciate the amount of time that you've given up for this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you right now, it really pisses me off that you're like four years younger than me. That re- that really irritates me. When you said what year you were born in, that irritated me so much. I I, I held um, ah, sorry. <laughs> I held it together, but that irritated me so much. It's it's. I mean, it's awesome that there's there's. I'm gonna say young people coming through as much as that upsets me. It's awesome that there are young people coming through that are just you know, so fantastic at what they're doing, but it doesn't do much for my confidence. So thanks for that. Let let me kind of finish up here on one question and then I'll let you go and you don't have to listen to my stuffed up crappy British accent anymore. 
when you look at your own work and doing a little bit of self-evaluation here and to be especially at the age that you're at and i'm rolling my eyes saying that to have to have produced the work that you have produced is is absolutely fantastic but are there any steps that you could have taken along the way that would have either you know got you to where you are now quicker you could you you know things that you would have done differently in the journey that you've had so far um hmm maybe move to New York sooner. <laughs> um, I think, uh, hmm, what could I have done? I think, uh, I definitely think moving to New York was a big thing for me um, that really hyped things up. Um, but I, I, I wish I could have moved here a little bit sooner. Um, I, hmm, I think, um, I wish I would have, I guess, pushed a little bit harder in my earlier twenties, I think. Yes, I was shooting early twenties. Um, but I think I was still in a, in a learning curve and, and still figuring out a style, um, and what I wanted to shoot, what was a little bit more inspiring for me and what direction and finding the look of what I want my work to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess it all came in its own time, you know, and, and, you know, it's better to let it gradually happen. Try to force yourself, you know? Well, I'm sure as shit, not saying that you should have done more by this age. Cause I certainly I, hadn't, I certainly I hadn't done what you've done and it's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's fantastic that you've done what you've done at, at, in the time that you've been on this miserable planet. So, I mean, you know, congrats. if you want to, if you want to, you know, sponsor me to come and live in New York and I'll try my best, but I don't think I could do the same thing. <laughs> Again, you've been so, so kind with your time um, to do this. Uh, the most important part of the podcast and the only reason it exists at all is for me to force other people to like things that I like. So to do that, I need you to tell everyone where they can go to find your work. So Instagram website and so on, please plug yourself away. Oh, sure. Um, you can, Go to my Instagram at, at underscore Isaac Anthony. Um, and you can go to my website at Isaac-Anthony.com. Massive thanks again. And I'm really pissed off at your age. But other than that, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate the time. <laughs>